everybody to the Behind the Curtain series on the web.com podcast. 2022, baby. We mentioned last week with Calvin and the Legendary Milkers that we were on our last team to miss the postseason in 2021, which means we have reached the postseason teams on Behind the Curtain. Teams that at one point last year really believed they could win a championship. Uh, And we're going to talk to one of those guys right now and maybe uh, feel or pick his brain to see how he felt about a team that was dominant in 2021. The most dominant the team has ever looked in its long and storied tenure. And that is uh, now managed by a pod squad member himself. Caleb is back and joining us on Behind the Curtain. It's great to be here. Um Always, you know, it's fun doing the commentary for other teams, asking the questions, but now i got to put myself in that seat. So, interested to see what you have cooked up for me today. <laughs> oh, man, th- th- this is always fun because, like, I think I mentioned this last year when we got into us, into our group here. Um, like, we get to talk to each other every week and see how it's going, but it's just different. It's just different when you're in the guest chair. You feel different. I remember feeling, like, totally out of place. Uh, and we'll get to that next week again with the money makers. But uh, yeah, the Keel Pros, man, you had quite a, well, I, I guess it wasn't even the Keel Pros. It was KOC. So why don't we just start right there? Uh, the moment in time that caused you to make that brand change. You were backed against the wall. We remember this team as the wild card weekend playoff dominant force in the pack five, but it was not all sunshine for the Keel pros slash KOC. Uh, you started three and four last year and you were only averaging 198.1 per game, which is a very good total, not a bad total, but not, not where you were by the end of the year. Uh, so how did you feel at that point? You'd taken some pretty rough losses in there, some high point total losses. Where, what, oh, almost said oh. it. <laughs> what were you thinking at that point in time, at the midway point? Oh, it was it was pretty rough, not going to lie. I mean, it's kind of been the MO of my team, having a slow start. I mean, it started week one against Parker. Come out of the gates, high expect, high expectations, you know, building the one of the best rosters I've had and it just does, never starts the way I want to it's really every year I feel like I come out of the gate slow and it really makes for a more stressful experience down the stretch and I was definitely feeling that um like you said I was I mean when you go on the pod every week and you listen to what you guys have to say and I think I was gone one week where I, when I was at that three and four point and you guys were like <laughs> Man, yeah, I don't know what's wrong with this team. Like, not scoring points, not getting uh, big wins. And honestly, that Dan game was the worst of it all with the stat correction. I mean, that that sent me into a full spiral uh, for some reason. It really affected me. Uh, but, I mean, it was, it was tough to adjust. But obviously, as you can see in the second half, uh, as I hit the Pack 5 schedule, that's when... You know, it was easier opponents, but you could see my team took a significant step forward scoring-wise. 
Yeah, and I mean, that's one of those things, too, where, like, we had kind of been talking about this top tier of the league, these five teams. We had the five playoff spots, and it just seemed like naturally we had five teams that fit the bill for the postseason, and you were the fifth team. But at that point in time, I remember what you're referencing there because we were both like, well, you know, at this point, how can you pick this guy over a Calvin or, or something like that? Because at that point, your resumes were very similar and you were going into the pack five, which, uh, you know, has had Dave at the time, a, a contender there. And Frazier was still kind of operating at a medium, you know, medium tier level at that point. But, um, yeah, like you said, you finished the season strong. You, in, in the final seven games, you were, uh, six and one, obviously with that six game winning streak coming out of the midway point averaging 225 points per game. You were the best team in web when the season ended. I mean, the stat, the Dan and the pirate crew had the points per game and the war plus, but that was based off of his early season work. You finished strong. Did you feel like you were the favorite at that point in time when the, when the regular season ended? Yeah. I mean, it's hard not to be, I'm looking back at the numbers here and after that, you know, three and four start, that next game, I put up a 238 week high, then I had another win, and then another week high at 237, and another win, and then two straight week highs. Like, honestly, it's crazy that I forget how great of a run this team had. And then, of course, in the big game to end the season against Dave, I put up 232 and still lose. So, you know, I've got <laughs> yeah. I've got the 232 loss and the 240 loss on my resume for this past year, which is very unfortunate. You know, could have avoided a first-round matchup against Dave if those don't happen. So, uh, obviously, turned on the Jets, and I was feeling really confident. But that, you know, that Dave loss at the end of the season did kind of put a damper on what was a really good season. That's a good point, too, because those two losses were the difference between winning the Pac-5 and not winning the Pac-5. I mean, if you don't lose to Dan, you pick up an extra win there, and then, you know, that game at the end of the season with Dave is, is for the Pac-5. So, I mean, it really was a case of, you know, having a lot of bad luck with a really good team. It's just unfortunate. Uh, so we obviously uh, played each other there in, in the first ever uh, wild card weekend webs history. You said, you know, you're feeling like the favorite going into that game. I mean, I'm not even going to lie to you. I didn't think I was making it out of that game alive. I was like, God damn, we've had a good run. But uh, so I think we, you know, we, we probably talked about this on our postseason you know, preview show with the final four there, but uh, what what were the emotions coming out of that loss? You know, as you transition into the off season after being so dominant for for literally months, uh, what does that feel like in that moment? Oh, very demoralizing. It's just like it's sort of been the issue with this team, where you know, slow starts and then finishing badly right at the end, and not being able to beat better competition or beat the top competition, beat these playoff teams. I mean, if you look at my numbers from this past year you know i don't know how many wins i had against playoff teams it might have been none honestly uh <laughs> which is really tough you know you uh it makes you think i'm a it's, it makes me sound like a fraud honestly and i don't quite feel that way because i know my team like scored good points in those games but it's like at some point you have to perform in those games and i haven't done it yet so i think the talent's there and everything and i think we can pull through and do it it's just 
once we get over that hump, I think it's just going to be, uh, we're going to light it up. But until we get there, yeah, I mean, first, I mean, cool to be in the first wild card game, but to not even make the, you know, final four sucks after my best season ever. So uh, obviously took a while to honestly recover from that, but, you know, bringing pretty much back the whole roster I had last year, I feel confident that we can run it back this year and uh, exercise those demons. Yeah, you were the uh, lowest, you had the lowest luck factor in the entire playoff field as the most dominant team. Uh, statistically, you were the unluckiest team, uh, and that is obviously no surprise, but when you put the number on it, and you were pretty, I mean, you and I were the only unlucky teams uh, in the playoff field, according to the numbers, huh. so, it, you know, that's, that's kind of how we ended yeah, up in that game yeah. together, I guess. <laughs> Um, all right. Well, let's talk about how you even got to that. We got the we got the season knocked out. There's a quick little recap of 2021 uh, for you there. But let's let's dive into kind of what what happened to get you to that point. Uh, Want to start with the Najee Harris trade because that was obviously something that we had kind of you know almost pushed you to do a little bit. We thought, hey, this would be a hell of a move, perfect opportunity with the draft capital that you had. Uh, and you went out and did it very, you know, leading up to the draft. We were waiting, waiting, waiting. Finally, we got those moves coming in. Um, but it, it it costs significant capital to move up one spot. I mean, from four to three, it costs you a second and a third. Um, so what was it about Najee, uh, you know, outside of maybe the obvious that made you say like, all right, I need this guy over a uh, Javante Williams. I needed an instant impact at running back. You know what I was rolling him with, um, obviously swapped out Mixon for Sanders. I had Gibson, but, uh, we've, the league's always been sort of a three running back league where you want to have those three guys you can slot in that are powerhouses and, there were really only a couple guys I was looking at, um, you know, Najee and Javante, but Javante going to Denver, kind of splitting the backfield with Melvin scared me off, and you've got Najee, who I thought was the better player, going to a situation where he was going to get all of the carries, all of the targets from Big Ben. It just felt like a move I needed to make to win now, and it wasn't easy to get there. I mean, trying to jump up to Riley's spot from where I was – uh, made me go sort of a sideways route. If you remember, I had to first trade. Oh, what right. was it? I had to trade, yeah, uh, pick 11 and a future first to Tim just to get up to five. So that was in the range where I could get like an ETN or possibly Javante, but that wasn't going to be good enough, and I needed to get up to Najee. So uh, there, ha there was a little strategy played there where I the price was too much to move straight from 11 up to Riley's pick, so I was able to sort of hanker my way in there and then obviously the three-team trade between me colin and riley i mean it's kind of crazy how it all came together and then Najee has you know a top three scoring running back season and was p pivotal to my team's success so i think overall i think those moves really uh set me up for a, a really good season so do you think uh you think Najee harris is getting disrespected a little bit right now <laughs> in the dynasty community because that's uh, all i hear about is javante williams i man. mean you but, you see my tweets you know the fantasy community just loves gushes over javante every time he does something but if Najee does it, it's like well he's 30 years old like what what, what is that supposed <laughs> to do like i think yeah the disrespect is ridiculous i think it's more just uh i don't know what it like Everyone ranks Najee as like a top, you know, five 
dynasty asset pretty much and Javante is gaining a lot of steam and it's gotten to the point where I'm just like I kind of hope Javante fails just because uh everyone's just like you gotta have Javante it's like he hasn't he still hasn't had a season like a Najee like if Melvin is gone maybe he will but uh I I like production I like win now uh um, honestly, the, the trade worked really well for me and Riley where it helps him maybe in the future more, but Najee's already proven it year one. Like how many running backs come into the league and score as a top three running back? Like it doesn't happen often. And, uh, as long as he's in Pittsburgh, I think he's going to keep continue doing that. So yeah, I think a little disrespect. Yeah. I mean, I like Javante, but the, the love has gotten a little insane on a guy who hasn't completely proven it yet. Well, and the other aspect, too, is, like, it is all relative. Like, everybody wants to talk about these guys like it's a, you know, you're in a vacuum. Oh, he's younger. Oh, he's got the, you know, he's got this PFF stat backing him up. But it's like, in your position, like you just said, I mean, Najee was an instant impact kind of a guy. You make that kind of a move, and look at what happens to your team. I mean, you were the number one scoring offense in 2021 and that doesn't happen with Javante Williams I'm sorry to say no. that so like it's like finding that balance between you know everyone wants to build this dynasty that's going to be great for all the time and like recycling these older players for newer flashier things but uh, at some point you just got to get the guys to get the job done and you know banking on expected value all the time can burn you uh, and even like we see it a lot with like older running backs like guys like you know, we talked about James Conner with Kelvin, not a whole lot, but like that was a guy that scored a ton of points this year, Leonard Fournette, and their values are so low, nobody wants anything to do with them, um, that you, you can't really trade them for what you'd want, but they produce as almost, I mean, pretty much an RB1, so I think there's a lot of, you know, it's, it's an interesting position to be in where the, these running backs fall off so quick, but there's a lot of value to be had in them. Oh, man, that is such a great point with these running backs because, I mean, I just saw somebody came out with their top 12 for 2021, and it's those guys, man. It's Leonard Fournette. It's James Conner. It's guys that, you know, Josh came on here and said, you know, people were trying to give me a second for Leonard Fournette. And I was like, I think he's worth two seconds, and this guy's probably going to be an RB1 in in 2021. So you got a guy – that you can count on for two years in that sort of a role, and he's fetching a second-round pick. That's the kind of yeah. It's value. it's like, are you really gonna trade Leonard Fournette for a mid-second? Like, it's trading like Leonard Fournette for a James Cook or as Amir White. Like right. Leonard Fournette, you know, is gonna put up at least probably like top fourteen running back numbers. Like, probably might be RB one again with Brady back. So, is it really worth you know getting the best value out of or like the uh, supposed best value when he's yeah. a proven product, but that's our running back spiel, I guess. <laughs> so yeah, that'll be. I, I like that. Dial it back a little bit. Greater <laughs> dynasty talk. We're gonna get into that. I think next week. I got a couple of running backs. Mm. I don't know what the frick to do. With. <laughs> um. All right. Well, um, let's talk about another running back. As long as we're on the subject here, this was pre Najee trade, pre draft. I mean, almost immediately after the 2020 season, actually. You traded Joe Mixon. This was a guy we talked to you about uh, on Behind the Curtain last year with the DJ Moore trade. Uh, nice little one-for-one -one swap there to address a need on your team. Uh, and you decided to move on uh, right after the season. You picked up Miles Sanders and Brian Burns, if I'm not mistaken, yep. in that trade. Um, so, I mean, obviously it's very easy to sit here now with hindsight and say, oh, Jesus, why'd you do that? But 
What was it about Miles Sanders and that move at the time that made you say, I am ready to part with Mixon? For me, it was more about getting Brian Burns, honestly. I, wow. My thing was trying to you know have elite defensive linemen with these scoring boosts on defense and you know in the expansion draft I lost TJ Watt which ended up being a really big hit I lost Jamal Adams too but it was like Chandler Jones is getting a little older I feel like I needed that up-and-coming guy and Brian Burns is the guy I sort of targeted as he was a really young rookie he had shown flashes of production and I mean he didn't maybe he didn't quite live up to the expectations this year for me, but he's still only like I don't know twenty three years old. Uh, he's a freaky kind of player, and I think he pairs up well with Bosa. And so from that angle, uh, and then you know Mixon and Sanders were really close in rankings for me. I probably had Mixon just a tiny bit higher, but Burns pushed it over the the level for me. Mixon was kind of the player every time I had him on my team, he let me down like multiple times, uh, getting hurt and everything, and. It's another thing where it's like at that point where you get sick of a player and maybe you shouldn't just get rid of them. But I honestly felt in the summer when I made that move, I didn't think him and Sanders were that far apart. I mean, I was pretty high on Sanders. So uh, getting Brian Burns was like, all right, I'm, I'm fine with doing that. I could see Sanders and Mixon putting up similar numbers. So that's why I was okay with it in hindsight. Yeah, Mixon would have been a great impact for this team. He would have... Uh, maybe maybe pushed me ahead of like a Dan in that game. So, uh, but I'm still, you know, that's that's part of the how it goes, I guess. <laughs> right. I know. Well, it's like that's the thing. Nobody. It's a tale of, of of both of those players because Joe Mixon, people forget, was not the Joe Mixon that he was in 2021. They had a terrible offensive line. People assume he's in for another weird year. Miles Sanders, young, up and coming, you know, what's his role going to be this year? And you just saw it completely go in the opposite directions. I mean, Mixon explodes finally, and Sanders is like not even a player right now. It's, it seems like, I don't know. I don't know what to think about Miles Sanders. Yeah, I don't either, honestly. I think as long as he retains that role, if he stays healthy, like he still puts up good numbers carry wise. Uh, I just got to see where that Eagles offense goes in that direction. If Jalen Hurts is there another year, maybe they add some weapons or offensive linemen with these draft picks they have. I think I still believe in Miles Sanders. I still think he's got the talent. And maybe it's another tale of <laughs> I don't want to mix in myself again where I just get out on one of these players because their value's down and I'm sick of them. Like maybe let's hold on to Sanders and see what we have before we rush to any trades just to move on from them. Well, you mentioned there your defense, Brian Burns, great addition there. And uh, your defense was something that we had talked to you about last year. You were the fourth scoring defense. Now you're the number two scoring defense. You're making strides there, even despite the losses that were well-documented coming out of expansion. I mean, you literally lost TJ Watt, the defensive player of the year in web uh, and got nothing for it. So how have you been able to build this defense back up? And, you know, how have you found success on that side uh, where some other teams are maybe faltering a little bit? I I can't say for sure. It's sort of been a balance of, of drafting and grinding the wire. I mean, Bosa was obviously a fantastic uh, draft pick that 
to build a defense around. Um, a lot of guys I made moves for. Joe Schobert's been a mainstay in this lineup. Chandler Jones, another one. Like These guys might be getting older, but they always put up good numbers. And then finding, like, you can find linebackers, like a David Long who was putting up double-digit double points every week. Uh, getting Foy from Riley. I mean, I don't think... Foy had one of, like, the most underrated seasons, I feel like, ever. Yeah. Like, he had 192 tackles this season with two sacks, a forced fumble, and three interceptions. Like, that is absolutely an absurd season. Uh, and that was part of, like, a Devin Bush trade that I made with Riley. And honestly, you know, that's part luck. I didn't see Foy ever developing into what he is. Um, you know, getting guys like Jamal Adams back was key. Finding, picking up value with a guy like Jaron Curse. Shaq Thompson for a couple thirds. He's a consistent defensive player. Like, I feel like it's it's tough because I mean we'll probably get into it. But it's like you can find uh, players on defense, like linebackers, DBs that that can get into your lineup and be really impactful. So it's like, why did I go out and draft Jamin Davis and Richie Grant? Maybe is bodes to be a question. <laughs> uh well, I mean it's it's a tough. It's a tough balance, and I think a lot of teams are dealing with it right now. And, I mean, like, that's why it's such a hard – we have to ask it to everybody because it's like either you're either you're uh, trailing off or you're or getting better on defense. And it's like it's hard to answer that question because sometimes guys just come out of nowhere, like Foy Aluakon. I mean, like – and speaking of that, by the way, uh, he – you want to talk about a little disrespect – uh, I'm trying to look here. I think he was 10th in defensive player of the year voting. And, man, if that's a 10th place defensive <laughs> player of the year, like I don't want to know what the nine guys ahead of him were yeah. doing because what a season for him. I see him out producing guys like Eric Kendricks and Bobby Wagner standalone this year. So, Well, Bobby Wagner, great locker room presence. <laughs> I mean, yeah, saying. maybe that's the difference. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, yeah, it's tough because uh, I feel like people – I don't know. Well, let let's let's touch on a player, Richie Grant. That's this is we're gonna ad lib. This is not right. in my notes, but this is interesting because you drafted Richie Grant. I mean, DBs have always kind of been enigmatic, even in this new age of defensive scoring and web. People are drafting linebackers higher than ever and more than ever. Now defensive linemen are going to start, you know, exploding. We might see three or four drafted in the second round this year, maybe even a couple in the first. But DBs, nobody knows really what to do there. We start three of them, but they're kind of hit or miss. They're kind of, like, available. Uh, but you go out and you drafted Richie Grant late second last year, kind of a plant your flag in a type of a move, like I believe in this guy. Uh, and he, and you bailed on him uh, during the season. So I mean, like, was, what do you take away from that experience? Is that a Richie Grant learning experience or a DB's experience? Um, it might be a DB learning experience. It might be like you have to get the elite kind of DB. You, like a Richie Grant, I thought was a really good player. I thought he was going to step in and play, be really good for the Falcons. But I think you need, you might need like a Jamal Adams, a Kyle Hamilton level db prospect to really plant your flag on him and, and then in that case you know how high are you going to draft him um i mean richie grant was a guy I, I was thinking about i could wait a little bit and then i 
I don't remember. I think I told it on my last behind the curtain, but it was like people were murmuring his name around me. Like Calvin ended up saying, he was like, oh, I was going to take him with my pick. And then I, had, I think he ended up taking JOK. So that worked for him. But, uh, you know, it's just, it's really tough to value those guys. Cause like half my, like J Ron curse was a waiver ad that I traded from Riley. Xavier Woods was a waiver wire pickup. And like, these are got a brand. And I mean, there's a bunch of guys you can find that can just step in and make that play. And I mean, it's it's a fine line and there aren't many elite like db prospects that come out and it's tough to gauge it because you you don't know they're weird because you don't know how a defense is going to use them like a lot of times it depends on if you can find a db that gets good snap numbers in the box or if they play them off the edge at times like if, if we saw like buddha baker go from a top db and then they started playing him back more as a center fielder more and we saw his production drop off so there's maybe a little like, you know, you don't know if there's a scheme change or something where they all of a sudden fall off. So it's a risky play, I'm starting to think, to, you know, draft DBs and, and really get the best out of them. And it seemed like we were going to have a record setter with Kyle Hamilton this year. We still might, honestly, but they're now now we got this whole other wave of people <laughs> that are like, well, maybe he's not actually that, you know, maybe he's not this elite talent. Maybe he's not Derwin James. Uh, I think, you know, I had him uh, as a high second in the mock I put out. And I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know. That's a, that feels like a risky play at this point, knowing what we know, knowing that he's not maybe the best athlete, you know, what do you do with that? Yeah. Are you going to take a guy like that where you you don't know exactly, or are you going to take like a, I don't know, whoever's falling there, like a Sky Moore or a Jahan Dotson, where you're not going to find a receiver on waivers with that kind of talent, but you could find a DB that puts up Kyle Hamilton production. Uh, so, yeah, it's really into dynasty theory there of how you want hey. to put that kind of stuff together. Well, you know, as the Keel, as the host of the Keel Pro Dynasty <laughs> show and owner of the Dynasty Index, this is the, these are the kind of conversations we need to have on this episode. For sure. Uh, well, let's talk about another guy, Jamin Davis. <laughs> so, uh, you know, obviously Tim swerves everybody, takes Micah Parsons. You know, that was obviously the wrong choice to make there over Jamin Davis. Um, or wait, no, it wasn't. So, uh, but Jamin obviously was, uh, he was mocked as a late first, high second type of a guy for a reason. There was a lot of belief that he was maybe more IDP ready uh, then, then a guy like Parsons in a kind of weird spot, weird role type of a thing. But obviously that was not the case. Jamin struggled to see the field a little bit this season. And, uh, so, you know, as you paid a first for him, you, you made that trade, you paid a first, uh, how do you feel about him right now? You feel like it was just a developmental year or is there a little bit of concern there? There is regret with that trade for sure. Giving up a 23 first that could be utilized in other ways. Uh, obviously sort of fell flat for sure this year. But I also had to, it's another one where I had to go back and listen, you know, sort of my takes on what I had on the other behind the curtain with Takeum. And it was, well, I think it was even before that when we were just breaking down these players. And I remember I, I said like this, he might take a little while to develop in the player one, but he has that ceiling. And then he gets drafted to the Washington football team who had a linebacker need and they take him in the middle of the first. And all of a sudden it was just like wheels up. Like he's going to start right away. Like it's, he's the guy. 
And I think that's a cautionary tale. And like, you know, go back to the evaluations. Like this isn't a guy, he was still raw. He started for like one year at Kentucky and he showed he had speed, versatility, and the stuff you want in a high upside linebacker, which is why I took him. But maybe we overreacted a little bit on him producing right away. So I I was getting a little worried about that. But now I'm sort of like I'm reeling back. And it's like, you know what? It, it's This is a guy you got to wait on a little bit. And I'm not just going to trade him for try to, you know, Rondale Moore this where I try to just get whatever value I can get. And- Shots fired. <laughs> we, we made it, everybody. We're, what are we, eight? Eight? episodes in we've hit tim on every one of these oh i had to figure out how i could get that in there but it's like uh i'm not just gonna dish him off for a couple thirds for a guy i said was gonna take a while to develop so unless it's he i'm packaging him together for something big james is gonna be on this team and hopefully uh be the next heir to my linebacking core that i believed he could be yeah yeah and that's it's a, it, it really is interesting because like uh, linebackers we've seen getting drafted more, you know, with more volume. I mean, guys like, uh, I mean, I'm going to shamelessly plug myself here, <laughs> Logan Wilson, Jordan Brooks. These are guys that maybe don't even get drafted in a former age of web, but, uh, as teams with those, you know, picks in the second, third round, you're, you're looking at those linebackers with high NFL draft capital, because you expect them to see the field and have a big role. You're not going to take a linebacker in the second and then not play him, or you think that you wouldn't, yeah. and then suddenly, you know, we have this kind of situation. I mean, look at the guys that were taken after him. I mean, like, just in the third round, JOK went at the top. You took Nick Bolton. Uh, even, like, Ernest Jones, who I got in the fifth, I mean, he outproduced uh, Jamin. He was, like, seeing significant starting time and making plays. So it's like uh, – if Jamin had put up like Ernest Jones numbers when he was healthy, it's like it's a different story, which is a weird way to look at it, and I don't oh, like to man. look at it that way. But it shows again that you can find like really good value. So are you gonna risk t- taking a guy this high? I mean, you see the reward with a Micah Parsons, but again, it's it's a fine line. <laughs> we are gonna learn so much about this when we get into our mock draft season uh for web.com on the podcast because uh yeah there's a lot of there's a lot of defensive talent available and it's going to be interesting to see how people prioritize that this year i think um well let's let's transition we we hit the defense we hit your defense we hit defensive philosophy we really you know good job there uh but let's talk about some offensive numbers because like i mentioned earlier you were the number one scoring offense in web in 2021. More points on offense than the fearsome pirate crew. I mean, that is no, you know, that's a big deal. Uh, and you did it with some guys that, you know, kind of stepped up. Debo Samuel, not a guy that going into the year you thought was an MVP level player. He certainly was. Now everybody's getting calm to him. Everybody <laughs> wants God. a Debo Samuel on their team. Um, but you know, as you kind of assess things heading into the year, you, you did kind of mention this a little bit earlier, but do you feel like it's, it's, uh, replicable on the offensive side of things? Do you think you can be the best offense again? Yeah, I'd say so. I mean, none of these guys have aged like really badly. I mean, Keenan Allen's going to be 30 now, but again, I mean, he even improved from last season. Like he just churns out those numbers 
Deontay and Debo are still, you know, 26, slowly entering their prime here. Um, and I still got a couple young running backs in Najee and Gibson, Josh Allen, QB1 and Dynasty, George Kittle, um, one of the, arguably one of the top tight ends in Dynasty as well. Like across the board, you've got guys that can put up quarterback one, running back one, wide receiver one, tight end one numbers. And, you know, one of the, you know, maybe depth could be a bit of a question. Uh, you know, who's going to run in that flex spot? You know, I made the trade for Damian Harris, who had a crazy finish to the season and finished as almost an RB1 in PPR. Uh, and Miles Sanders, maybe a bounce back year. Kenny Galladay, really disappointed. And, you know, you add Rondale Moore into the mix. Don't really have any picks. So that's going to be the crew rolling in. And I, I mean, I'm, barring any injuries, I think we can line right back up and do it again. Well, you mentioned that you don't have a lot of picks, and that is the case for a lot of these teams. Or if it was, now they've started building it back up, a la Parker right now. Uh, so I we asked Kelvin this too last week, but do you feel any added pressure? You, as you see, some of these teams kind of retool, reload, pick up some first. As a, as a guy who has traditionally had a lot of draft capital, made a lot of moves, you know, do you feel pressure to kind of make some of those, you know, sideways moves? Eh, I mean, I really don't know what I have. Like, that's been the difficulty lately. Like, I've kind of made my bed. Like, I still have, I have a couple seconds in 2023. I've got uh, my 24 first and second, but... There's not a whole lot of wiggle room, and I'm not really looking to break up my my starting lineup that I already mentioned. So it's sort of like, you know, am I gonna package Damian Harris or Sanders or Galladay into something? Um, you know, I feel I you know I saw everyone making moves like to get better, and I was and, or trying to like for the future, and it's like, you know, I re I was really excited. Like I always want to make trades. Like everyone knows I'm always active, but I was also at the point like, <laughs> for years it was like. I was just it was just a revolving door on my team of just making these trades and never actually having something and now I'm at the point where it's like well this is what I've been building for so why am I going to try and change it <laughs> Yep, I know. That's that's the thing. Like this is the team that always turns over every year and now suddenly it's like there's not a lot of activity out of the Keel Pro camp, but there's a reason for that. This was <laughs> the best statistical team uh in the season when it ended. So um, well, all right. I, you're not completely bare in draft capital. You got a couple of fourths here coming up in 2022. I mean, hell yeah. Deep draft class. I mean, I mocked you some pretty good players there at the end of the fourth round. So any insight into what you're targeting there position wise, player wise, I moving up. I mean, it's going to be tough to move up. I am this draft class class is weird. I'm, I'm sure I'll talk on the dynasty show, but after like and IDP, it's a little deeper, but after like the second round, like I, I think anything, any players on the table, like they could go anywhere. I like it, yep. it's probably it might depend on draft capital, but a guy uh, that's being mocked me in the fourth could go top of the third, or a guy that's being mocked in the top of the third could fall to me. So um, there are some sleepers out there that I like. There's I got to see where they go, but 
I'm not just like honing in on anyone. Like I'm not like you where you have all these picks and it's like, oh my gosh, I got to plan this out. I got to trade up three spots in the third round at 3 a.m. on a Saturday. It's like, you well, know, let's man, let it ride. <laughs> this is what, you know, great owners do. We don't oh, sleep okay. and make third round trades and, you know, in the late morning or in the early morning. But no, it's, uh, first of all, draft capital consolidation you think i got enough roster spots for all these guys i just needed to turn two into one I, that's all i needed to do i have been there i think it was one of my first years when i realized i was like oh i don't have room for these guys like <laughs> yep. the picks are all fun and games till you don't have room for them and it's just like you're just tossing them for dirt basically exactly <laughs> exactly oh man please nfl draft i need you um all right so We've we've danced around this the whole episode. You, you're confident going into 2022. You like the offense. You're feeling good on defense. But what does the team's window look like? I mean, when you think about the future of the Keel Pros and how Webb is shifting, and it has shifted dramatically. I mean, teams that were playoff teams have made significant moves. Teams that weren't playoff teams have made significant moves. So how does that all affect your perception of your team's window? Yeah, it's kind of weird. It's not something I've thought about a lot just because of where the team's at and I was finally hitting my stride. Um, I'd say for sure this year being competitive, I think next year still. I mean, guys like Deontay and Debo, if I keep them together, you know, they'll be hitting 27, 28 years old. We'll probably need to find a receiver to step up to maybe replace Keenan, depending on how long he produces, but... That'll still be like Najee entering year three, which means he'll be 40. But, uh, you know, Gibson, um, Kittle will be getting a little older. But you've got I've got guys like, you know, Josh Allen's not going anywhere. Bosa and Burns are still really young. So I feel like I have these pieces in place that uh, I think this team, you know, next two years for sure, and then maybe the, the 2024 season, maybe some questions will start to rise. But I'm going to... Wait and see. I don't want to uh, make any rash decisions, but I'd say, yeah, uh, 2022, 2023 are going to be my years, and then 2024, we'll sort of try and figure it out from there. All right, well, I got to ask you this then as a follow-up because you're the first 2021 Pack 5 playoff team we've talked to. How afraid of Tim are you in 2022? You think he can match you and Dave? It does pose a threat. He, you know... The lineup is very impressive. Just, you know, it's gotten a little older, but you look at it, and I'd, I'd say it's close to pound for pound with mine. I mean, you roll out Saquon, Dobbins, maybe some question marks there, but he's got Tay, Evans, CD, Pitts, Aminra, uh, and the defense. I really like what he's done there with Parsons, Roquan, uh, JOK. So I think it'll be interesting because he's put all his eggs in that basket and might not have, you know, already has maybe a shorter window than me. But uh, I think, yeah, he definitely poses a threat. Uh, you know, it's going to be those games all of a sudden with Tim aren't, you know, they aren't just, you just look forward to those. It's like, uh-oh, we got Tim, we got Dave, and then, you know, sneaky Riley matchups in there, and, and Josh will be scrappy, Frazier. Like, it, the Pack 5 is, it's going to be the toughest year that we've seen, I think, maybe ever for the Pack 5, and it's going to be... It's going to be interesting. Frazier said it, man. Is this the year where we start thinking of the Pac-5 as the as a dominant conference? And that might be true. But 
I can't wait to hear Dave's opinion on that. I think he's going to have a little bit of an interesting take on (laughs) the insulin pens. But um, all right. Well, uh, this was really nice. Thank you uh, for sitting in the guest chair. And so I'm going to extend you one offer. Um, And, you know, obviously this hits a little different for the pod squad guys. But uh, I'm offering you the microphone, Caleb. And on behalf of the Keel Pros, what would you like to say to me, the league, and the world. Hashtag release the votes. Hashtag justice for Justin. Oh, man. It's all. It's all Hashtag right. stop the steal. Oh. <laughs> all right. Well, cool. Thanks. Thanks, buddy. And uh, hopefully I'll see you next week. We got... Oh, wait. I'm up next oh, week. Oh, shit. trouble. Oh, no. Okay, well, you and Fraser better be here to grill my ass because I've been preparing for this. I'm already brainstorming, so it'll be be an interesting one. Stay tuned, folks. (laughs) And uh, look out for the Keel Pro Dynasty show. I heard a rumor that there's maybe a new episode dropping in the near future. Yeah, I'll I'll tease it. We got quarterback, running back, and receiver rookie ranks in the works with a few other web members as guests, so... That's, that's those are some of my favorite pods to do. So I'm excited. Love that I I love that so much. We are getting so close, baby. Let's go <laughs> one more month. All right. Uh, well, until then, keep an eye out for that, and we will see you next week. Let's make it a great week.